Hi, this is Jackie. Welcome to my gospel journey. I'm looking at um, some of the most contentious um, scriptures in the Bible. Um, this one I'm looking at is Matthew 24. And um, it is nice now to see some people starting to wake up and starting to realise how this has been totally misrepresented. So I'm going to do two different versions versions of this. One's going to be without all the deeper sort of studies using Strong's Concordance, and one's going to be with um, all the um, scriptures. Um, I believe that that will help people to understand it a little bit more. So because the deeper study, you can get a little bit lost. So I like to always go back. Um, to the scriptures and, and put them on but some people get lost with that so I'm going to do two different versions so this particular version is going to be the one that's got all the um, verses and Strong's Concordance and all the different meanings of them I believe that the manipulation and the misunderstanding of the word is down to the fact that people do not study the word of God and that's in 2 Timothy 2.15 they tend to just read it but we need to study it correctly and break it down and read it properly. And then you can see and understand how the sheep follow the Lamb of God and not follow the lies of this world. And that includes um, the manipulation and uh, misunderstanding that I believe people are finding in the churches. So what does it mean to set ourselves apart from the world when you have to buy and sell, for instance, and, and work and participate in this world to actually survive? That's a difficult one. Well, for me, it, it is about not having to rely on the world for anything and everything. But this is very difficult, especially when we are uh, going to work and having to rely on the doctors and, and the food and basically at the moment everything is designed to stop us from gaining access to its facilities unless you do this and unless you do that and participate in the world so yes it is very difficult but I won't go into detail about that just yet as this will need to be another podcast but once you realise the world that we are living in is just a lie it then becomes a little easier to set yourself apart from the B system that we are in, not just um, physically, but also emotionally. And I will show you how that could be done in another podcast. But to cut a very long story short, to set yourself apart is to understand how the enemy actually works through the reading of the word of God. And remember, that is in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, Matthew 24 is one of the most misrepresented scriptures in the Bible. There are others, of course, which I will discuss, but this one has caused arguments, stiff upper lips, ignorance, fallouts and blocks on social media. You just wouldn't believe that they are Christians, to be honest. And I, I do find it quite hilarious. So I then ask myself, do they really want to learn? Do they have no understanding of what is actually being said here and being done here? Are you believing everything that you have been told? Have they been sent the powerful and strong delusion 
and therefore believing the lie of the world because God knows their heart. He knows deep down they are not for him. So he has allowed them to believe the lies of this world. So I'm going to read out this scripture. 2 Corinthians 4 is very clear. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. Very interesting that because I've mentioned the word age and if you substitute that to Pentecostal age, church age, um, unbroken age, that will make more sense as well. So if you look at it this way, and I have gone into detail about this later, it says the God of this age, so the God of this unbroken age, the God of this perpetuity of time. We are in a dome of time, I mentioned that before. So the God of this church age, the God of this Pentecostal age, the God of this age of grace has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Okay, so putting that to one side, and I remember Jesus said that he spoke in parables. And in Matthew 13, 10, 17, I'm using the common English Bible version of this, it says, title, Why Jesus Speaks in Parables. Jesus' disciples come, sorry, came and said to him, Why do you use parables when you speak to the crowds? Jesus replied, Because they haven't received the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but you have. For those who have will receive more, and they will have more than enough. But as for those who don't have, even the little they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to the crowds in parables. Although they see, they don't really see. And although they hear, they don't really hear or understand. What Isaiah prophesied has become completely true for them. You will hear to be sure, but never understand. And you will certainly see, but never recognize what you are seeing. For this people's senses have become calloused, and they've become hard of hearing. And they've shut their eyes so that they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds and change their hearts and lives that I may heal them. Happy are your eyes because they see. Happy are your ears because they hear. I assure you that many prophets and righteous people wanted to see what you see and hear what you hear, but they didn't. Now, this to me, believe it or not, is the opposite of what I have seen in the churches. 
Not all of them, obviously, but most of them are tickling ears and not preaching the real hard truth of the Bible. And it is only those who have received the secrets of the kingdom of heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit that they will truly be able to discern what is being said. I know it sounds crazy, but we can't trust all the churches. So let's read Matthew 24. This is the um, contentious issue that many people just don't seem to get, although I am seeing now at last. Um, I've seen two videos now that, that get it. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, emphasis on the all, even so when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now most of the Bibles have this title in between to distract you. If it hasn't got a title in between, it's got scriptures in between. So they have broken it down for you. And then it says this. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I've broken my um, words into sections as well. And this one I've broken down into praying for discernment. Now, if you pray for discernment, everything does seem clearer. I'm not going to say every single thing. You have to keep praying for discernment. God is clear about anyone that changes the Bible, adds to it or alters it, and they will be blotted out of the book of life. And trust me, I don't want to be blotted out. So I always go back to the word, and each time I go back to the word, more is revealed to me. Seek and you will find, and that is in Matthew 7, 7. So in Revelation 22, 19, it says quite a few things, which I'll go into in a minute. And in Matthew 23, 15, there is also reference to this. And James 3, 1, it says that not all of you should become teachers. But to be honest with you, when I see the lies from the pit of hell surfacing in the churches and on the internet and on fabulous, wonderful websites that look wonderful because they can afford it, then I'm sorry, I, I can't just sit back and, and do nothing because too many people are not studying, studying the word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. This is something that I have been going on and on and on about for a very long time. And it's time for me to step up a little bit and say it as it is and in the way that I understand it. And now I'm seeing other people saying it, it's quite good, well, to other people, to other websites, not websites, but um, videos. So let's have a look at what the Lord says to the self-righteous and the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites in Matthew 23, 15. 
Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel over sea and land to make a single proselyte, which means convert to Judaism. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Interesting, isn't it? So this is why I always, always go back to the word and read it again with strong concordance to make sure that I have read this correctly. Now in Revelation it says something slightly different, but obviously still just as serious. Revelation 22, 19. And if anyone takes away from or distorts the word of the book of this prophecy, that's in the book of Revelation, by the way, then it goes on to say, God will take away from that one his share from the tree of life. So yes, it is clearly, clearly very dangerous for anyone to alter the book or even distort the words of this book, in particular in this time, because this is very important to the generation that we are in now. So let's read one of the most contentious and argumentative verses in the Bible and why is it important to get this right. If you don't get this right, you could well find yourself not ready and not prepared and you will be caught out like a thief in the night. The scripture says in Matthew 24, 3, the following. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Okay, so what things are we talking about here? Let's break it right down and have a look at the deeper meaning of the actual scripture. Jesus said that there will not be left one stone left upon another. What exactly was Jesus actually referring to when he said these things? Well, it is important to remember that Jesus was looking at the buildings across the temple when he made this statement and of course asked the question. The walk to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives is a 30 minute walk away from the temple. The word is clear, you just need to study it. The question was asked from the disciples as Jesus left the temple. And as the disciples walked with Jesus for 30 minutes after the disciples had already asked the question at the temple, Jesus then answered them as they were sitting on the Mount of Olives. But I do believe that Jesus was facing the temple when he answered his disciples, as I said, was 30 minutes later. Now, Jesus was talking about all the buildings that was in front of him, including the temple. I believe that is the case. At first I thought it was just the city of Jerusalem, but it could well be the temple because he was sitting on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem and the temple where he left was in the background. He didn't answer their question until 30 minutes later when Jesus was sat on the Mount of Olives looking at the temple and of course, as I've just said, Jerusalem. So I believe Jesus wanted the disciples to think about this as they walked through the city of Jerusalem. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus had done this in the book of John regarding the woman who was threatened with being stoned to death. And that was in John 753 to 8 to 11. Now, according to the research, the incident on the Mount of Olives are all in Mark, Matthew, Luke. 
haven't seen it in John. So it is hard, it is really hard to really know that the story about the woman was before or after the conversation on the Mount of Olives. But I will for argument's sake say that the conversation about the Mount of Olives, I believe, could have well happened before the Pharisees wanted to stone the woman. And my research tells me that Mark was first in 70 AC, then Matthew in 80, then Luke 85 to 90, and then John in 95 to 100 CE. And that was um, obviously about the story about the woman that the Pharisees wanted to stone to death. So Jesus' priority was clearly the end times. And he said all of this in obviously Mark, Matthew and Luke. He placed a lot of importance in the book of Mark, Matthew and Luke. Look at the scriptures. It says again and again and again, take heed, do not be deceived. Now the relationship with Jesus is individual and not everyone will see everything in exactly the same way. And not everything is revealed to everyone in the same way because if you do not seek the information, you will not find. And that's in Matthew 7, 7, as I mentioned before. The title says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is about the gospel of the kingdom. It's not about finding a husband or a wife. Now, the other questions where were, sorry, the other questions were, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So here we see there are three questions being asked. But the other question that we mustn't forget is the very first one, which is, when shall we see not one stone be left upon another? And Jesus was responding to all of them and answered the question fully. So let's look at the other questions. When these things will be, the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. So there's three questions there, plus the one about when not one stone will be left upon another. As I said, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem where the temple was on the Temple Mount, where he had just walked 30 minutes. This was deliberate so that we, could, we actually could work this out for ourselves. And that's what I did, I started to work it out. I'm going to break it down as best as I can, the verse 24, 34, and then look at the scriptures in Strong's Concordance and rewrite it again. But it is the same as the word, not manipulated at all. I'm just looking at it from the Strong's Concordance point of view. And let's face it, the theologians that we have trusted for all these years, the Bible scribers, have done exactly the same thing that I'm doing. I'm just choosing different words that is based on Strong's Concordance, which is what I'm doing for you now. So the original scripture says in Matthew 24, 34, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now I've looked at this and this is what I have said, looking at Strong's Concordance. Truly I command you, this successive members of genealogy shall certainly not perish till collectively these things come into existence. Look at that word, collectively. As I read this again, as I've, I've written my script, as I'm reading this again, I'm seeing things shouting at me, telling me to pay attention. So you will see why I mention that word collectively in a minute. So why did I choose these words in particular? 
sounds strange, doesn't it? Then you realise that the word this successive members of a genealogy shall certainly not perish. Now this, in my opinion, speaks about the ancestors within a generation time frame. Broken down, it does mean the same thing, of course it does. But there is a difference. If you go back to Genesis 2.4, it says this. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. We've got to remember that our thoughts are not his thoughts. The scripture for this is found in Isaiah 55, 7-8. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So now let's break that down. Not that particular verse in Isaiah, but Matthew 24. Let's break, let's break it down what Jesus actually means and what he's telling us. What does it mean about the genealogy, the future generation that will be in this time will not perish till all these things come into existence. Again, collectively, all. So now let's look at the answers in Strong's Concordance. Again, we are looking at the following questions. I want to repeat this again to make sure it's really clear because I'm doing this on a podcast and on a video. When shall we see not one stone be left upon another bee? Next question. What shall be the signs pretending remarkable events soon to happen? And what shall be the sign of your coming? And what sign shall be the end of the world? So let's first of all talk about the first question, shall we, which was when shall these things be? When shall it be that one stone will not be left upon another? When shall we not one stone be left upon another be? Well, clearly it is by deception because the first words Jesus said was, take heed that no man deceive you. So he's telling us to be careful, be extra careful, take heed. This is a warning. This is the first thing that Jesus said. Again, take heed that no man deceive you. Then Jesus goes into detail. And I'll read that now. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, when you analyze the words and you study it, things become so much clearer. It does seem to take a long time to explain it, but it's really important to slowly go through this with me so you can see where I'm coming from. Because here, the end of the world means, wait for it, an unbroken age, and further explains that this is a perpetuity of time, a period of time and age. So in my humble opinion, there are several ages that this particular passage refers to. And this is a period of time that Jesus is also referring to. 
Could this be the Pentecostal age? Could this be the church age? Now, as I've said before, this is this very deep, this is very difficult for some people, but I'm not being patronizing, I'm just saying that I've done a lot of studies on this. And I would like to know again, who is actually writing this information? Who has been commissioned to write the word of God and missed out all the really important meanings in every single different Bible that has been translated for us? Don't get me wrong, wonderful job. Thank God we have the word, we have the sword. But how do we know deep down that they haven't changed it along the way with regards to the meanings. They can't change it in a way that it's completely different, but they can change the words and use your other examples of the words that closely fits in with what the word actually says. To fool us, I'm a deep thinker, but the Bible does say again, 2 Timothy 2.15, to study and show yourself approved unto the Lord. It doesn't say show ourselves approved unto man unto the Lord. So, although I'm sharing this information with you, I'm actually excited about sharing the word so people can see the truth and, and, and how this has happened. So 24.3, let's read this again. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. Now, the first answers for this I've already mentioned are the world, the actual word world in this instance means forever, an unbroken age, perpetuity of time, eternity. So we cannot ignore all the meanings in Strong's Concordance. There is a reason why there are different meanings to the word. All is not what it seems. I've said this before, and I've mentioned Revelation 18.23 with regard to the administration of drugs and poisons but they've changed all that and they've moved it from poisons or administration of drugs to the word witchcraft or even sorcery words that we don't even use but we must pray for discernment and I've come to the conclusion that there are several things that must happen that pertains to the end of the world not just one thing that must happen before the end of the world but several things collectively these are what is going to happen before the end of the broken age the end of the pentecostal age the end of the period of grace there will be four different major events or things that will happen as the sign of the end of the world and the meaning of the word sign also means plural as I said before which is of signs portending remarkable events soon to happen okay so as I said this is complicated and I want to keep going over it to make sure that I'm homing in on what is really important because I haven't seen anybody go this deep into scripture going back to Strong's Concordance and explaining it all The Bible is clear, we have to study it. And that is what I'm going to do and what I intend to do and it's what I'm going to do and will do. People are lazy, they don't want to study it, they just want to read it. It takes a lot of time, as I've said already. So after the initial warning, which is about deception of course, Jesus then explains the following 
answering the first question, which is, when shall they see not one stone left upon another? So what does this mean? Simply put, the destruction of Jerusalem and of course, possibly the temple, as that building is on the temple mount. The answer is, you will see prophets deceiving many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is not the end. Then Jesus continues, that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines and pestilences and earthquakes, but all of these are just the beginning of sorrows. Better said and better put, this is the beginning of intolerable anguish in reference to the dire calamities, all proceeding to the coming of our Lord, the Messiah, King of Kings. In other words, all of these events will happen before the advent of the Messiah. But this is happening now, isn't it? We are in the beginning of sorrows. So it's already stated, sorry, sorry, it's already started and we are not to be troubled because as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So in conclusion, again, to this particular part of the question regarding the disciples' first question in relation to what Jesus said, in a statement and a question in Matthew 24, 2, do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So, quick conclusion to all of this. Wars, rumours of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes are the first part of four of the beginning of the dire things to come upon the earth. But this will happen during the end of the church age. I know I do take a long time to get to the point, but I have to sometimes repeat it to make sure that it really sinks in. Okay, so what is the next question? What shall be the signs portending? Remarkable events soon to happen. So what does this actually mean? What are the disciples asking about? Now I think in plain English, what will be the sign or the warning that something momentous or calamitous is likely to happen before the end of the church age? before the end of grace, before the end of the Pentecostal age. It sounds different when you break it down, I keep saying this, but read and study the scriptures. So let's see. Again, the end of what exactly? It is the end of the age. Is this the end of of the Pentecostal age? Is this the end of the church age? Is this the end of grace? Let's have a look. Let's look at the meanings. The limit at which a thing ceases to be, always of the end of some act or state, but not of the end of a period of time. The key word here is simply put, and that is the end of a period of time. So this is again, not the end, finito, completely the end finish, is it? It states clearly that this is the end of a period of time. And hence I used the words earlier that there are four major end time events. Okay, so what is next? 
since we have now answered in great detail when shall not one stone be left upon another and we have looked and we have looked at the signs that portend the remarkable events to happen to thy coming questions one and two answered in accordance with strong's concordance so far and in conclusion we can see that not one stone be left upon another will be by deception first of all as the most important thing and then the answer to number two regarding the signs portending the remarkable events to happen in the future is nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom earthquakes pestilences and famines but all of these signs all portending to the coming of the messiah but the end is not yet again this is just the beginning of the calamities the four calamities that precede the end of the church age the pentecostal age the period of grace that is what the world end of the world means in this particular scripture so let's look at these signs again about the coming of the messiah because that overlaps question number two but what will be the actual sign of the coming of the messiah well if we look at matthew 24 37 then it is clear that it will be in the days of noah so let's look at what exactly this means in terms of the meanings in Strong's Concordance. My interpretation based on Strong's Concordance, of course, in Matthew 20, 47, 37, don't forget this would be what the theologians would have done. So I'm studying the word just as I'm sure a bunch of theologians and Bible scholars would have done exactly the same thing. Except there's a difference. I'm looking at it with open eyes based on what is happening today maybe they did that many years ago i don't know but this is what i'm looking at the book of daniel daniel 12 4 tells us the book has been shut until the time of the end and this is what we must look at we must look at it in terms of what is happening now the bible is clear and that we must seek our own salvation and not lean onto our own understanding we must ask God to make our path straight as I have done with this, this particular scripture I'm not taking anything away from the Bible scholars I'm simply ex explaining how I have come to this conclusion as we must put our faith in God not man Ephesians 5 6 says this let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore do not be partakers with them. Now I have to therefore do this on my own with the help of the Lord who guides me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I always ask, please do not allow me to lean onto my own understanding, but to guide me with the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the next question. And what shall be the sign of your coming? The scriptures first outlines that the next part of this particular question explains the sign of the coming of the Son of Man will be in the days of Noah. Let's rewrite this in accordance to Strong's Concordance and looking at what is happening today. As I said before, the books have been shut and now they are opening. Just as technology increases and gets better, we have to look at the word. It's increasing and it is showing us exactly what is happening. 
let's look at Matthew 24, 37 with regards to this particular scripture. Let's look at the meaning in the Bible, KJV version, and then I will explain mine. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So I'm looking at the first part only, which is, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be because I'm answering the question, what shall be the sign of your coming? And he's answered it. Strong's Concordance says this. This is me not changing the word, but I'm using different meanings based in Strong's Concordance. And just as the last day of this present age, the day Christ will return from heaven raise the dead, hold the final judgment, and perfect his kingdom, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now plainly put, this tells me that the Son of Man will be exactly the same as in the days of Noah. They were just like we are now. People are ignoring the truth and they will perish in the same way as they did then with the flood. It will happen again then judgment but despite the warnings that Noah gave they ignored him unprepared not listening marrying and drinking and then judgment okay so finally the last of the question is and what sign shall be the end of the world now I touched on this earlier because it was important to outline this in the beginning to get a good understanding about what is being asked here by the disciples. So briefly put, the sign of the end of the church age is not the same meaning as the end of the world as we see it. It is about the end of the church age. I've come to this conclusion because Jesus has answered four major events that pertain to the end of the Pentecostal age, the end of the church age. And that's looking at the word, the word world. In chapters Matthew 24, four to eight, Jesus said that these are the beginning of the calamities to come onto the world. Before the calamities come upon the world, there will be deception, wars and rumors of wars. But we are not to be alarmed because all these things must happen and will happen. But we must not be deceived, but we must stand firm. It isn't until the gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations that the end of the world will come. And if you look at Strong's Concordance in Matthew 14, you will see the meaning of the end is different. This is the last in any succession or series because the end here means end the limit at which a thing ceases to be the end of some act or state finito
Finito Benito. Let's look at that again. It means end, termination, the limit at which a thing ceases to be. The end, the last in any succession or series, eternal. That by which a thing is finished, it's close, issue. The end to which all things relate, the aim, purpose, toll, custom. Think about it. The end to which all things relate. All things that I have spoken about in all four questions all relate to the end of the age. The end of the age. Now I'm going to read 2 Timothy 2.15 because God is good. Dealing with false teachers. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles a word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In Jesus' precious holy name, I hope you have received this message. Amen.